going to do some things a little bit differently tonight. Uh, if you have a Bible that's nearby, uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to kind of split the teaching up a little bit tonight in order to give us some time to kind of focus on two things that are related, but they're different enough to where I don't want to... I don't want the first one to be forgotten because of the second one, and so we're going to kind of split that in half. And so um, it'll be like a little, a little sermon now and then a little bit longer sermon, in a little bit. Um, the last few weeks we've, we've looked at different aspects of God's character and His attributes that He reveals to us through His Word and in the Bible. Um, and the last couple of weeks specifically, we've kind of gotten into the, the, a broad category of uh, the fact that God is without limitations, and uh, very different than we are. Uh, he's not limited uh, to um, space as far as like, uh, he can, he's everywhere in fullness at one time. Whereas you and I are limited to space. We can only be in one place at one time. And so he's without limit. He's, his presence is full everywhere. Um, he's as present in this room as he is in heaven. Uh, he's as present at wherever you live right now. Uh, as, as he is in another part of the world. Uh, there's just everywhere he's fully there. He isn't limited by space. He isn't limited by time. Uh, we, we experience the passing of time in a, in a kind of moment-by-moment moment kind of way. And God looks at all of time as one big thing. Like he's able to, to see it all. Uh, he's planned things, uh, planned the end from the beginning. He, uh, so to him, he's not confined to the moment-by-moment moment kind of linear timeline like you and I are. And uh, he's able to do that because he's not limited in his mental capacity and his knowledge. So he's able to not only be everywhere at once and it be outside of time in the way that you and I are, but he, he knows everything that's happening in full detail all the time. And so, you know, we, we are learners. We are uh, very much limited in our knowledge, but he isn't. And so... Uh, now I want us to look just for a few minutes at this, at one more aspect in which he is limited, and that is, it's in regard to his power, um, that there is no limitation to his, his ability to get done what he wants to get done, and uh, there just isn't a limitation on that. Um, you went to Ephesians 3, we'll get there in just a second, but uh, there's, there's a term that God uses to describe himself and that his people have used to describe him, and it's the word Almighty. And it means exactly what it sounds like it means. That all, all might belongs to him. That he is the almighty. Uh, we see this. We're going to throw these up on the, on the screen here. Um, it's used throughout the book of Job, which we won't look at. Uh, but all throughout that book, God is, is just described as the almighty one. The almighty. Uh, but then also in Genesis 17, verse 1, God uh, describes himself uh, to Abraham. Um, uh, or to Abram here. Uh, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. So God's people refer to him as, as Almighty or the Almighty. God refers to himself this way. We see it again in Psalm 91, verse 1. Uh, the same thing is said. Uh, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Um, Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, uh, says the same thing. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. 
Uh, Psalm 147, verse 5. I'm just going to keep going so until you believe me. All right. Uh, Psalm 147, verse 5. Uh, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Abundant in power. Uh, another way to say that is almighty. Right? Same, same ideas. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 26. Uh, Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Why? Because he's almighty. He can do it all. He, there's just no limitation there. And then you went to Ephesians 3. So let's look at verses 20 and 21. Um, not to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, um, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He's able to do far more than we can ask or even think. Um, he is the, uh, the one abundant in power, limitless when it comes to his ability to do what he wants to do. He is the almighty one. Uh, you and I are very limited in our power, in our physical power, in our emo- emotional power. Um, there are, uh, are so many things that we, we wish we could do, but we just can't do. Because there's a limitation on how powerful we are. We only bring so much to the table. Uh, God is not limited in his power, just like he's not limited in regard to time or space or his, or his mind. Uh, he can do anything that he wants to do. Um, once he has determined it and it is a part of his will, he can accomplish it. Um, let me tell you three areas where we see this, and then we're, gonna just, we're just going to sing a little bit and respond to this. Um, God's power uh, is, is clearly seen in uh, three ways, and there's certainly more than this, but let me give you three. One, one would be his, when we see the creation narrative in Genesis, uh, believing that God literally spoke the world into existence. Out of, out of nothing. And so, you know, we can, we can kind of make stuff, you know, like if you want to build a house or you want to make a scrapbook, I don't know if people still do that, but if you want to make a scrapbook or, or if you want to make a sock puppet, I mean, whatever, you can create things, but it, it takes things to make other things, you know. So if you're going to build a house, you have to have all the materials. If you're going to build, make a scrapbook, you have to have like scissors that cut like jaggedly, I think. Is that right? <laughs> And probably glitter or and glue. Uh, you have to have things to make that. If you if you're gonna make a sock puppet, you have to have a sock and a marker, I guess. Uh, I don't never made one, but uh, but you have to have things in order to make other things. So we can be creative, but we're just taking things that already exist and putting them together and making something awesome, like a sock puppet. Um, for God, though, he didn't he didn't take a bunch of pre-existing matter and like press it together, and then there was like the earth. He just spoke it into existence, out of nothing. So before there was nothing, and then there was something, and what is between point A and point B in that story is him just saying, let there be light. There it was. Um, So that is a demonstration of his power. Uh, He just speaks it into existence, and it's there. Um, so his spoken word in the creation narrative is one way we see it. Another, another place that we, that we see it is um, in the miracles that are performed uh, all throughout the Bible. But I tend to, when I think miracles, I tend to think about Jesus himself. Uh, walking around the earth, encountering all different kinds of people. Some he healed and some he did not heal. But whenever there was a healing, uh, it's God demonstrating his power over 
the laws of nature. His power over uh, disease, his power over different physical ailments. Uh, We see uh, when Jesus calmed the storm, God's power over nature in those things. And so we see his power over what we understand to be the laws of the universe and the laws of nature. And God just demonstrates, whenever he decides to, that he is is greater than those things. Um, So we see that in in the accounts of various miracles as well. And um, probably the most prominent way that we see, the the third thing where we see God's power demonstrated is uh, in what Christ did on the cross. That sin and death entered the world through the, through the choices of Adam and of Eve and uh, threw everything into chaos. And that's why we grow old and die. And that's why even the, even the people that were healed in miraculous ways in the, in the New Testament through Christ's miracles, uh, they still died eventually. They weren't able to escape the impact that sin and death had on humanity. And yet Christ comes, he lives a perfect life, he lays his own life down uh, as a sacrifice for sin, and he conquers sin and death, as we see when God the Father raises the Son from the dead and proves that, once again, his power is able to overcome anything. He is without limitation in regard to what he can do. And everything that he wants to accomplish, he is able to do that. It's one more way that he is distinct and holy and in a completely different category than anything else we can understand. We kind of understand power. We don't understand limitless power. We kind of understand presence. We don't understand limitless presence. We understand knowledge, but not one who has no, no, there's no ceiling to hit. He is amazing. And he's not just sitting up in heaven, a far, like far away from his creation, apart from us. And he's here among us, with us. He's chosen to tell us certain things about him, to, to help us understand to a degree what you really can't understand fully. Uh, and what's amazing is that this God who is without limitation wants to know you and wants to know me. And that's part of why we gather here together. That's part of what's so stunning about these kind of, of realities is the holiness of our God. Uh, just incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, so once you stand up, let me pray for us. And we're just going to sing a little bit. And kind of just with these, these things in mind, this limitless power of our God. And, uh, and then we'll continue. Would you, would you pray with me? God, it is a humbling, humbling thing to know that while you are so, so unlike anything else, well, there is this perfection and purity that is just part of who you are. You still desire to be with us, know us, for us to know you. I pray, Father, that you would just help us um, to realize the, the magnitude of that truth. That the holy, sovereign, loving creator of the universe 
wants anything to do with us. That you value us deeply, that that you sent your son to pay the price so that we could be one with you again. That you are over and above and greater than everything, and at the same time, you're more near and more compassionate and caring than a lot of times we're able to understand. We're grateful that you've made yourself small enough for us to know. And so as we respond to the bigness that these ideas convey, I pray that you would help us to to embrace that reality. There's none like you. Let's turn together Psalm 103. So this part of the message is going to kind of, uh, it's related to where we've been, and I don't, want to, I don't want us to leave that behind. So with all this stuff in mind that's been up to this point, um, a conversation about God's omnipotence, okay, his all-powerful, limitless nature, uh, naturally leads down a road that needs to be addressed. And um, it's, it can kind of be summed up in questions like this. It's like, okay, God can do anything. So why is the world so full of bad stuff? How come this happened instead of that happening? Or uh, how come this person prayed and God did what they wanted to do, but then this person prayed and God said no, or uh, those kinds of things. That why does, if he's without limitation, then why isn't he just doing awesome stuff constantly, you know? Um, and this is in the, in the camp of conversations about God's, uh, his methods of governing his creation, uh, the word sovereign is kind of thrown around. It was even in one of the songs, you know, that he's sovereign, that his, his reign and rule over all that he has created is, is, uh, is, is perfect and powerful and all that kind of stuff. And, but the, that's where the questions come up, is it's like, okay, if he can do it all, then why does he choose to do this and this and this in these kinds of ways? Um, and so we're going to kind of hang out there for a few minutes. And um, it's, we need to, first of all, understand that God's okay with us questioning how he chooses to rule and reign. You know, Not in a like, defiant, rebellious kind of way or in like, a, I could do better than you. Not, not in that kind of stuff. He's not okay with that sinful approach. But he's perfectly fine with us bringing these kinds of questions to the table either to him directly or to one another, you know, or in, a, in a, a group setting when you're just like, I just don't understand because I was praying about this and I really was so full of faith and I was really just, I really believed he was going to do this and then he did this instead and I don't get that. And so everything from our own personal lives to what's happening globally, uh, questions about God's sovereign rule and reign of creation come up all the time, and it's been here for a long time. And believe me, 
you're not going to get the answers tonight from me, from me at all. Um, but I do want to, I do want to propose some things and uh, maybe just offer some things to think about. Because honestly, I, I'm not sure where I am on it either. Um, so I'm not up here giving you the official position of the Ring Community Church in regard to God's sovereignty. Um, I'm also not here giving you my, my own personal take on it. Uh, I think that can be, that's just, that's just not where I am. That's not where the church is, I don't think. Uh, but in all these conversations about all his attributes, these things kind of keep coming up. And so I want to take a minute to address it. Um, so in, in our, our quest to understand, um, I want to give us three things to, just, to keep in mind. Three things that I think will help inform our own personal processing of events in life as they unfold. In our personal lives, in our, our, the lives of our families, and our friends, and as a church, and also in our state, in our city, in our country, in our world. Uh, if we can keep these things in mind, I think it will be very helpful for us in kind of putting all this stuff together. So um, there will be three points. Um, the first one is this. We have to keep in mind the character of God. All right, the character of God. We've been talking about attributes of God, and uh, we've covered, I think this is maybe the sixth or seventh week in, of this, and we're going to do something different next week. But uh, there are so many attributes that we have not covered. And the thing about the character of God that we must keep in mind, and the reason why this is the first point, is that we can't take one quality... And consider that quality in isolation from all the other things that we know about him. We have to keep everything all together. If someone were to come up to you and say, hey, describe your best friend in one word. You know, that's, you know, I know that's a fun game, right? Okay, so like, oh, of all the words I could pick, I'll pick this one. Nice, you know, okay. But if someone were to come up to you and say, hey, just... Take all the time you want. Use all the words that you need. Describe your best friend. You wouldn't be like, hmm, nice. That's it. You wouldn't pick one attribute. You'd pick tons of them. And if the person was really like, tell me more, tell me more, then you would keep telling them more, and that's how that it would work. We don't think about each other in those terms of like one attribute. We... It's like, how do you sum up a person? Okay, that's great. How do you sum up God? Well, what we don't do is take omnipotence out and separate it from love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, holiness, mercy. You know, we don't separate it from those things. It's a part of all those things. We don't take omnipresence out. We don't take his unchangeable nature out. We don't, we don't take things and separate them out when we think about God just like with one another. It's all one thing. Look at Psalm 103. Look at verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. Okay, just look at that one verse. 
described as uh, merciful and gracious. Some translations will say gracious and compassionate. Uh, slow to anger. What is that? Uh, it's another way of saying he's patient with us. You know, it's not short fuse kind of thing. Like he's, he's patient, he's understanding. Uh, he's abounding in steadfast love. Next verse, uh, verse 9. He will not always chide, or uh, he will not always rebuke and correct, uh, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. It's not fear like you're afraid of him in the way that we think of it, but fear of like just being in awe, you know? Maybe that sense of awe that we were kind of immersed in for a few minutes together in song, maybe that kind of stuff, that, that his steadfast love for those who are just in awe and respect and reverence of him, it's as high as, the, as, the, as space, you know, from the earth. Like it's just this massive, deep, wide, un, this unfathomable love. Verse 12 as far as the east is from the west, okay, which is like infinite, right? Uh, so does he remove our transgressions from us? He's separated your sin from who you are in a way that you and I can't do. We, we struggle. We kind of see, we kind of see ourselves as kind of one big lump of, you know, whatever. And God's able to separate our sin from us as a person and He's able to deal with the sin, but not destroy you and I as the carrier of sin. And this is the, These are the, the characteristics, the qualities, the attributes of the God who is omnipotent and can do anything that he sets his mind to, that he wants to, that he has decided this is going to happen. He can do it. We cannot separate out all the different qualities and characteristics of God. We have to put them all together when we're considering our understanding of his sovereignty. When we do these kinds of things, we realize that everything he does flows from this complete picture of his character. Every decision that he makes in his, in his governance of creation, it flows out of these qualities. It comes from the perspective of holy love. I was talking with my brother, Jew, this week, and we were kicking around all these kind of like, just these ideas, and we were talking about how, you know, some people are like, how, you know, describe God as holy, and some describe him as love, and we're like, let's just put them together. I mean, that's what the Bible kind of does. This holy, perfect love, from that flows every decision that he makes. It's the same way with us, you know, like you're, you're capable of, of doing stuff that you don't do because it's inconsistent with your character. You're capable of murdering someone. I mean, it's, you know, you can do it, right? But why don't you do it? That's not who you are. That's why. So your decision to not murder comes from your character. Your decision to love your neighbor as yourself comes from your character in a much greater way. Everything that God does as he governs the universe is flowing from that character. So we've got to keep that in mind. We have to understand that uh, it's all of them together. 
They all, all those attributes all need one another in order to make sense. So the mistake that we make sometimes is trying to pick one of those things out and like dissect that and pick it apart as though holiness isn't a part of that and love isn't a part of that. And patience and mercy and all of the things that we see described here in this psalm, they fit into those things. And even when it doesn't make a lick of sense, when his decisions are as confusing and just, just puzzling, like I cannot imagine why this happened or whatever. Well, it's coming from the character of God, somehow. So that's the first thing. Don't separate them out. Merge them all together. And when you're struggling with one of these things we've talked about, if, if, his, if his full presence everywhere all the time is just weirding you out, then start to bring those other qualities into it. Like, oh, so the holy, loving, patient, merciful, gracious God is everywhere sustaining everything. Okay, all right, that's better. So the first thing, don't pick apart the character of God. It's all one thing. The second thing with his sovereignty um, is to keep in mind that there is a big, real story that's being told. There are different kinds of theological models and understandings of things. and uh, One that's very helpful to us is, is, is called narrative theology. It's this idea of the, the storyline of the Bible. So there's a systematic approach, which is, is very organized, very structural, very uh, what you believe about this is contingent on what you believe about this, which is contingent on what you believe about this. And it, it stacks up very, very nicely and neatly. Narrative theology is like, okay, what, what's the story that's happening? What is God doing? So there's a big, real story being written. See, stories are awesome, uh, and we all understand things, and we read books, and we're fascinated by these, these authors that can just capture characters and plot lines and all these kinds of things, but they're dealing with fake people. So it makes this story at times very gut-wrenching is that we're dealing with real people. There's a big, real story being written. The, sometimes I, I'll break down the storyline uh, where God created everything and it was good. It was perfect. And then sin entered into the world through the choices of Adam and Eve and it literally broke everything. That's where sin and death came in. That's where the uh, that's where earthquakes and tornadoes and all these natural disasters came from. That's that's why we grow old and die. That's where sickness came from. That's where all these dark things came from. That's the second component of history. And the third thing is that Jesus shows up and uh, fixes everything. So God made it and it was good. Adam and Eve broke it through sin. And then Jesus comes and is the hero that restores and fixes it all. It's a three-part story in its most simple form that I can break it down. So within this big story arc, there is all kinds of stuff happening. There's all kinds of people and nations and all these kind of things that are happening. And all of them fit into that story arc somewhere. They all fit in there. 
so let me let me let me tell you two things that sometimes we feel like yeah, it, one or, one or other has of these things has to be true. Um, some would say that he is um, sovereignly guiding that storyline as it plays out. That he's controlling things and he's um, he's um, making people do this or that or the other, and he's just kind of a uh, this master story writer, he's like he's determined what happens with the characters and all this kind of stuff. And so, as that story arc plays out, he is guiding it and sustaining it and making it do exactly what he wants it to do uh, in, like you know, along the way. And then there's another line of thought which deals with our decisions and choices as people, and say like, well. We're the, like we're making actual choices that are changing history constantly. We're choosing to do this or choosing to do that, and we all know from uh, any sort of time travel movie that one decision uh, can radically alter the course of your personal history and maybe the whole world. Right? Every time travel movie deals with that. Back to the Future, you know, uh, everything hinges on the enchantment under the sea dance. Right, and his parents meeting one another and falling in love, whenever, and he goes back in time and he messes it up. And if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, I just spoiled the plot line of the great movie Back to the Future. Um, and that becomes the problem is that we see like, man, this happened, which led to all these kinds of things. And so, if you go back in time, if you if you want to drive yourself crazy, just think back through your life at like big decisions that you made and think, what if I had done this instead? You know. It'll it'll wreck you. Like it'll just it'll make you just really paranoid and about whatever what you're going to eat for dinner. Like it'll just freak you out about all your decisions. And so we would say, okay, so either God is sovereignly guiding that story, or we are making choices each and every day that are like determining the outcome of the way history is going. And these choices really matter, and there are actual consequences, and there will be actual accountability. So the argument would be one of those, one has to be true, and that means the other one can't be true. Either God is in control of everything, or we are in control of everything. But it can't be both. That's what some people think. And I'm kind of in the camp that thinks, no, I think it's kind of both. You know? I think that the Bible points to both of those things being true. That God is sovereignly reigning over all that he has created, that he has written a story where Jesus is the hero that fixes everything. That he's guiding all of human history toward that end. That knowing the end from the beginning, he's the one that is making sure that it lands where he wants it to land. And at the same time, you and I are making real choices and real decisions that every single day impact the rest of our lives and maybe the whole entire world. I think both those things are fine. I think that we are not smart enough to see how they fit together. And in our frustration as, as humans, but especially as Americans, like we have to understand everything. And if we don't understand it, we either dismiss it or we just kind of like carve out parts of it that we can't understand and say, well, then I'm just going to go with this and... I think that God is not upset with you and I for struggling with this. I think he's okay when he's like, yeah, 
Probably weird me out too if I was limited. (laughs) I think it's helpful for us to consider this story and to not think as much about God as a micromanager and control freak. I think it's helpful to think of him more like a parent than as a something else. Forget that. He's he's not controlling everything about you and everything about everything all the time. Manipulating whatever. That would just make us robots with the illusion that our choices actually matter. Don't think of him as a micromanager. Think of him as a parent. With, parent, with parenting, there you are with your kids. And what do you do? You, you kind of you have this same cycle over and over again. Now, I'm not a parent, so I'm, but I'm just going to assume, because I know parents, and I have parents. And it kind of goes like this. You, as, as a parent, you make your will known. Right? This is what I want you to do. And then the kid either does that or doesn't, you know, they make a choice. And then you as a parent respond to that. Over and over and over again. This is what I want you to do. Don't touch the stove, right? The stove is hot, it will burn you, don't touch it. The kid makes a choice, which is usually touch the stove, let's be honest. Kid touches the stove, they burn their hand, they cry. The parent responds hopefully with compassion and stuff like that, and then eventually you talk about it, and you're like, okay, remember when I told you this was going to hurt you? Yeah. And you did it, and it hurt you? Yeah. What does that tell you? You're right. Cycles of that, cycles of that, cycles of that. Now, you could parent in a micromanaging kind of way where you're like, oh, the stove is hot. Don't even come in the house. You You could... Uh, you could stand behind your kid and like make them like physically walk and like not touch the stove or whatever, but no, that's not teaching them anything. It's not teaching them how to make decisions. It's not shaping their thought process, and it's definitely not helping them trust you as their parent. Because when that kid is crying because the stove burned them, and you're loving on them and you're saying it's going to be okay, and you put some ice on it and stuff, and then when you talk about it. A part of what comes out of that conversation and that response is, Dad was right. Dad was right. Dad cares about me. Dad's not trying to deprive me of the, you know, the glories of burning my hand. You know, he's, he's, he cares about me and wants what's best for me. And I think God's more like that then he is a micromanaging control freak about everything that happens all the time. He's revealed his will to us in the Bible. He's made all this very clear. And he's, he's guiding it, but I think it's more macro than micro. There are times when I, he does override, but for the most part, he's like, this is what I want. And here we are making a choice in various moments throughout every single day. 
And in times when we sync up with his will and God says, this is what I want you to do, and we do that, I think he's very pleased. I think he honors that. I know that there is reward in heaven for that. And in times when we are rebellious, we are met with grace and compassion and all those things that we just looked at. But a part of that is in being like, okay, what do, what do we learn? Well, God, you're right. You're right. And sure enough, there'll be another hot stove coming up in life. There'll be another opportunity, another choice, another whatever. And I think that God is just sovereignly guiding history along. The story being written, maybe it's not his story alone. Maybe by inviting us in to his life. He's making it our story. Maybe when we reign on the new earth, it's not him being like, hey, I'm just going to let y'all, you know, like enjoy my stuff. When it says we will reign with Christ, there's a relationship there. There's some ownership there. I think together we are writing the story of God as it plays out. Are there times when he steps in and intervenes? Yeah, absolutely. Are there times when... um, He decides to heal. Yes. Are there times when we, when sickness does not get healed and people pass away? Well, yeah. Is that because God isn't in control of things? Well, no. Is that because God stopped being good? Well, no. Is that because God wasn't there? Well, no. It's because sin broke the world and we die. That's how it is. Sometimes when we, when we, we get kind of stressed about why is this happening around the world? Why is this world event happening and all this? It's the same thing. It's like, where's God? Where's God? There are people making choices all around us all the time. Yeah, but why, didn't, if, why didn't God stop this? I, I don't know. And that's the, the most frustrating answer as a pastor that I offer people. You're like, why, why, why? I'm like, I, I don't know. Go back to the first point. Well, it's Flowing from his character, somehow he's going to use this to fit into the story that he's writing. Somehow Jesus is the hero in this. Somehow this will be okay at some point. It might not be till the new earth. So maybe on this earth, this is always going to be terrible. You know? Maybe on this earth, it's just about Christ meeting us in the pain Saying, hey, I'm, I'm okay. You're okay. Maybe it's about that mercy and compassion. and Passages like that where, like, don't forget that your sin's been separated like the east from the west. And my steadfast love toward you is as high as the heavens. And I'm slow to anger and I'm abounding in steadfast love for you. Maybe it's about him meeting us in those painful moments and that being enough. Because I guarantee you, you guys who are parents, when your kid burns their hand on the stove and you're there holding them, they might still be crying and it might still be hurt, but your presence there makes things better. That's better to them, it's deeper to them than making the pain go away. This is a difficult topic. It's a difficult subject. It's, it's hard to know exactly what to do with it. 
See, families work in tandem together. I think God and his family works in tandem also. That somehow his guiding governance of all things in your personal life and all the way to the global events, somehow it works in tandem with our choices and our decisions. I don't understand the mechanics of it. There are plenty of times when I'm sitting there being like, God, I, I wouldn't have done it that way. I wish you wouldn't have done it that way either. And God doesn't get his feelings hurt, you know. He doesn't. He doesn't pitch a fit, run out of the room, you know. He's like, yeah, I get that, but. So you go back to the first thing about his character, and he's working with literally all of the facts. And we are not. Like, we're just very limited in our understanding of things. So that's a powerful thing to come to the Lord and say, God, I don't know what you're doing right now. This doesn't make any sense to me, and I kind of hate it. And I kind of wish you would have done something different and whatever. And to have that kind of honest moment with him, kind of like Jesus had in the garden before his crucifixion. But then his prayer to say, yeah, but it's really not about my will. It's about your will. To come and say, God, I don't understand why this is happening or why this did happen. Or even going back to when, when you were young, I'm not sure why all this played out the way it did. But I'm trusting that you're going to make this a part of a beautiful story somehow. And even if I don't understand it until I'm on the new earth in heaven with everybody else, and then I'm like, oh, now I kind of see. Okay. Even if that's the, the only point of understanding I'll have, I, I'm trusting in you, the Holy One. Who's working with all the facts. And who only makes the right, good, perfect decisions. So this big real story that's being written. Maybe we're helping write it. Maybe that's what he has decided to do. Maybe even though he could do this and this and this and this. Uh, I read this this morning. Like maybe he's sovereign over his own sovereignty. Maybe it's his wisdom playing out in real life. So, don't isolate the various characteristics and traits of God from one another. They all go together, and everything flows from there into this big, real story that's being written. I believe the Bible says that he is sovereign over stuff and our choices really matter. So the third thing, third point, is our stewardship of the role that we play in the story. So stewardship is about being entrusted with something. And so here's God telling a story of brokenness and redemption through the sending of his son and taking folks who were scattered and chaotic and bringing them in and making them a family, changing their names, changing their identity, giving them a hope, giving them a future, securing all these things. And he looks at you and says, okay, I want you to be a part of this. I want you to be in this. 
So your stewardship of your role, first of all, is made possible by Jesus dying for your sins and bringing you into the family. And now that you're in the family, God, who is writing this story, says, okay, you're going to play a part in this. And you're like, me? what, What do I have to bring? He's like, trust me. Trust me. I'm working with more information than you are. You're going to be a part of this story because you're part of my family. You're going to be a part of our story as we write it together. And so you have to steward that role well. Um, Look back at Psalm 103. Look at verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Alright, that's you. I'm going to pay the price to buy you back into the family, change your name, bring you to his table. So we're writing a story. You get to be a part of it. And these are all things that fit into your life. Forgiven iniquity, healed diseases, um, redemption from a pit, uh, crowned with steadfast love and mercy, satisfied with good. You're like, yeah, but all those things, are, all those things don't describe me. Yeah, but you, you, you get what I'm saying, right? You get the idea. God says, come into my family, we're going to write a story, and yours is going to be a story of taking you from um, terrible things into beautiful things. And I'm going to sovereignly guide your life. Not nitpick you and micromanage you and control you. I'm going to lead you like a shepherd leads his sheep, like a father leads his family, like a husband leads a wife. Like a pastor leads a church. We're going to do this together. I'm going to give some leadership to this, but, but here we go. I'm going, to, I'm going to let you know what I want, and I'm going to teach you over time that I'm right, and I'm trustworthy, and that your choice is to do what I've said because I know more than you. Uh, over time, you're going, to, you're going to become so much like me. We're going to start to talk alike and think alike and act alike. And people are going to, they're not even going to know like, what's going on with you anymore. It's going to be awesome. Okay. That's that's the role. The stewardship of our role. There are things in the Bible like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, when you realize that your choices make a difference and your God is, has brought you in to be a part of this story that he's taking, and what he said is the most important thing that you can do in stewarding your role in our story well is to just love me. And so I've already told you that I loved you. I've proven that. Uh, so you love me. And then from loving me, you're going to love what I love, which is all the people around you, and so that's going to be a part of the story too. Um, Jesus says in John 15, to, you know, to abide, to, to need him like a... Like the branch of a tree needs the trunk of a tree. Uh, Ephesians 4, it says to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling, you know, that's on our lives. And, um, it says to pursue holiness. Uh, 2 Timothy 1, to guard the good deposit entrusted to you. 
Um, we ask for wisdom. We, we keep the end in mind. Here's probably the best thing that we do in stewarding our role well from a sovereignty standpoint. Is you just hang on because you know the end. Because you know that Jesus has come. And he's coming again. And he's making all things new. And that has begun It will be completed at some point, and you get to be a part of that. And so in the times when his sovereign choices of how he rules things makes no sense, and it goes against everything that you want, and you're completely broken over your own situation or someone else's or something that you see around the world, and it's so overwhelming, stewarding your role well means like, well, I'm I'm not going to forget what the future looks like for me. I'm going to throw my hope way, 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 way down. And it's going to land on Jesus, and I'm just going to like keep pulling that rope until like eventually I get there or whatever. Hanging in there, understanding what's going on, not forgiving where the story ends, all that stuff for you and me. It's helpful. It doesn't answer all the questions. I know that. But when we keep those things in mind, when we look at what he has revealed to us that he wants us to do, love me, love one another, Trust me. Don't trust yourself. Let me lead you. Let me guide you. Trust me that at times I'm going to step in. I'm going to override some stuff. And other times I'm going to, I'm going to let you get burned. But I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to shape you. I'm going to mold you. All that stuff. See, sometimes we start to question his, his rule and his reign and his decisions and we kind of dig our heels in and we're like, until I understand this, whatever. Yeah. God's like, no, you have a role in this. You're like, well, how do I have a role in what ISIS is doing over in the Middle East? Like, you do. You're, at, you're in the family. You're at the table. You're part of the story. And maybe that just means you go to work and you be faithful. You, know? you disciple your kids. You love your neighbor. You, you keep doing those things. Maybe that's how you make a difference in what's happening over there, but you're like, how does that even make a difference? It's like, whoa, why don't you back up a little bit and just let, just let God take care of what he said he's going to take care of. One of the biggest ones is probably realizing that our choices matter. And so we abide and we depend on him to pursue holiness and choose Christ over and over and over again. Don't kid yourself into thinking, like, oh, it doesn't really matter what I do. It doesn't really matter. I've tried to stop doing this or start doing this or whatever. I've tried, 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 whatever. I'm just going to, God's going to get his way anyway. So whatever, what does it matter? It's the story. That's what matters. It's his will being carried out. It's his plan being carried out. It's you being and I being a part of it. So those are the things I think are helpful to us to keep in mind when we're trying to understand how does the all-powerful God Choose to govern and reign over the world. Remember his character. Remember the story and remember that you're part of it. So, um, I may have just kicked over a hornet's nest. (laughs) Uh, I may have left you with more questions than you came in with, and I'm okay with that. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) I'm okay with it. I think we need to wrestle through this and wrestle with it together. But here's, here's what I would like us to do in response tonight. If, if you're in a place where you have completely thrown in the towel, 
on your disciplines, your pursuit of holiness, your care about life, your care about yourself, your care about the Lord, whatever. Um, it's probably the point in the story where it's, it's time to recognize that those choices make a difference. And His will has been revealed and that He wants you to follow Him and He loves you. And He is patient and He cares and He is here. And so maybe it's time for you to surrender something about yourself. And if you, have, if you struggle with something, some sin, some habitual thing, some sort of pattern of thinking, some sort of relational sin, whatever, Jesus is still the hero of that. You don't have to go get all your stuff straight and fixed before you can come to him. He says, just come. So there's three, three different responses here in a second. One would be, we're going to stand and we're gonna, there's going to be some songs we're going to sing in response. And maybe that's what you need to do. Maybe you stand here every single week with your arms folded and you never sing. Maybe tonight you just need to sing. Even if you think you're a terrible singer, who cares? It's loud, right? It'll cover you up. Maybe you need to stand and sing. Maybe you need to come and kneel and pray and confess that you've just been making stupid decisions over and over and over again. And you're, you're ready to be a part of the story as God designed for you. So these steps uh, are open to you if, if physically coming forward is good for you. Sometimes you put an action to it and it gets more real. Um, and the, th- the third option, uh, one of our elders, Matt Iglesias, is going to be over here at this little table. And um, he's going to be serving communion. And so maybe for you, the next step into whatever you feel God's leading you is, is to go back to where it all started for you. Is the body and blood of Jesus poured out for you, laid out for you, given for you. And so maybe communion tonight is like, that's what you need to do. So you can stand and sing, you can come and pray, you can take communion. There's a fourth option, which is to do nothing. And that's, you know, whatever, okay. So if you want to do that, I can't really help you. You just, just do that, just do nothing. But hopefully, in light of this stuff, I mean, why would you just want to sit there and be dormant, you know? I don't know. So, that's what we're going to do. So let's stand together. I know I've talked for a long time, and uh, I appreciate you hanging in there. But I want us to take some steps into obedience together. So let me pray for us as the band comes up. God, I know that um, I know that I have really have tried to put this together in, in an obedient way, and I trust that you are the filter between what I'm saying and what is hitting the minds and hearts of everyone here. Um, I'm so inadequate when it comes to conveying these kinds of things, and thankful for the grace that exists here. And we know that grace is just because of you. You understand the fact that we just don't really understand this stuff fully. But at the same time, you understand that our desire is, is to know as much as you want us to know. And to walk deeply in a relationship with you. 
And so, God, whatever response you want us to make, I pray that you would empower our efforts to do so. To sing or to pray or to go back to the starting point. We know that you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. That that's who you are. That's, you're the one that we approach in prayer or in communion or in song. We're thankful that you don't rule and reign over things um, from a perspective that has been impacted by sin. But you lovingly parent us, shepherd us, guide us. Pray that we keep those things in mind as we respond. That we'd be in awe of the fact that you want us to be a part of the story that you're writing and that we would own it. We love you and we pray this in your good name. Amen. So, come forward and pray. Stay there and sing. Matt's over here on your left. Let's just respond for a few minutes and then, uh, then we'll go.